Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Alyssa Wasco, founder and designer of Donnie. Donnie is a 13-year-old elevated basics brand that was built on a single scarf. I wanted to ask Alyssa all about the brand's growth and evolution, which has involved building a coveted, tight-knit community. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you so much for having me. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for being here. Tell me the scarf story. Well, before we go there, tell us about Johnny. Okay. So like you said, we've been around for a little while. I actually accidentally started the brand when I was in college 13 years ago, Um I think I always knew I was going to be in the fashion industry in some capacity, never thought it would be having a brand. I've worked um, in a lot of different areas of the industry, Um, but truly, you know, 13 years ago was really when scarves were having a moment Um, and I really loved them. I felt like they were such a chic and easy way to just make you look put together. And I wore them all the time and it was kind of like something that I was known for. And I also just found them to be very like safe and comforting almost. Um, And when I was in college, unfortunately, my dad had passed away and I started making scarves and it was kind of, it was selfish. It was a coping mechanism. It was, there was no intention for it to be really anything more than that. Making a scarf for myself as something, um, you know, to make me feel comforted in some capacity and um, it kind of just evolved and my friends wanted these scarves and my sorority sisters wanted these scarves and then their mom that owned a boutique wanted these scarves and it just kind of really snowballed and evolved from there with really um, no intention. Uh, My dad's name was Donald and everyone called him Donnie so that's you know where the name came from and we've we've kind of been trucking along since then. Paint the picture. I is this like a big blanket scarf? This is not like something you were knitting or crocheting. Like how were you what was what was the look of it? Yeah, so I mean there's definitely been over the years like pretty much every size and shape scarf that you could ever think of, but in the very very beginning it was more of um almost like a plaid bandana kind of style scarf. Yeah. Um, And then from there, it kind of evolved into more like blanket style scarves and then neck scarves and like literally every scarf shape that's ever been made. We've we've definitely done. I mean, the first seven years of our business was only scarves, which when you're in it, it, you don't really realize. But like looking back that we had built a business on one of the smallest product categories (laughs) Um, and sustained us for that long is like a little bit funny, I think now looking back on it, but, um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So beyond friends and family, when did you kind of, did you start an e-commerce site back in 2009? What was the first step? Um, yes. So I think that first year we first, we started out on Etsy. Um, that was just kind of like a really quick, easy way to, to sell them because we were doing it so manually, Um, And I was making like so many scarves, like literally in my college apartment. Um, And so like that was like kind of step one in streamlining the process. But then from there, um, I actually had a friend who was like a web developer and, you know, made logos. So he was kind of working on that for a little while, while while we were selling on Etsy and just kind of selling to probably four or five boutiques in the country Um, and like just doing trunk shows and things like that. 
Um, and then, you know, from there, I mean, we've probably had like 10 different websites <laughs> since that time, obviously. I mean, I don't even remember what that website looked like, but that was kind of like the, the beginning, the very, very beginning for sure. Are you on a Shopify site now? Yes, we are on Shopify. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> a whole new experience. That is really great. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh my gosh. We we were talking about potentially doing a series about, I guess, the different uh, Shopify integrations. Shop, um, Somersault was telling us at our last event, um, their founder, Lori Coulter, that I don't know, I think they have like 80 apps or something, bananas yeah. Tell me about your, your setup. Is this like quite the operation? Are you managing this? No, God, I am not. That is not my jam. Um, no, have a great team that manages our website. Um, we definitely have a lot of plugins and a lot of apps and a lot of things. Um, we redid our website most recently about a year ago. I think obviously we make updates all the time, but Shopify is truly, and it's truly incredible. I mean, we had, you know, Magento, I don't know how many people still use that, but it was so manual and painful and Shopify just makes everything feel so, so lovely and easy and so many possibilities. Nice. So I know that you, I didn't actually know that you started the, the scarf biz while you were in college. So tell me how it went down because I know that you also have great experience at companies like Chanel, like I, I really, I mean, so was this kind of a side hustle for a while? It was, you know, I, so the timeline was, um, I started, I started at Chanel the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college. And I was an intern, um, and I like, I, I was just a super persistent and called them every day, literally until they gave me an internship. And, um, that same summer is the summer that my dad had his accident. So like these kind of two things were like in conjunction with one another, which was actually really interesting because when I, I continued working for Chanel every summer of college after that. Um, and then went to work for them full-time after graduating and even like flew out and worked with them, like while I was still in school for like certain events and projects. Um, but they were kind of like there when everything transpired with my dad. Um, and the team there was so supportive. And I think like, since they kind of were with me from that stage that even once I graduated and they knew that I had this business on the side, they were just so supportive. And I think that was like one of the luckiest things ever. I mean, I was like literally selling scarves at Chanel, Chanel's corporate office to like the whole company. And it was just like fun. It was honestly funny. And like, it was a mix of like people I was close with that were being supportive. And I think people that like, I didn't even know that like had just heard because like someone in their department was like wearing a scarf and like, I always wore a scarf and it was just like, it was, it was really great. And it's like Barney's was around the corner. And like, if I had a trunk show there that I had to like jet over to, like my team was super supportive and, um, it was just really great. And I think was really gave me besides the fact, just like working there in itself gave me so much insight and tools of, you know, what to do, what not to do. And just like working for a luxury corporation, um, but also just their support and um, just willingness to, you know, allow me to like grow this in conjunction with working there was a really special thing that I will definitely cherish always and try and always remind myself of how lucky I was to have kind of been able to do both at the same time. Honestly, nice Chanel. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> 
For sure. Tell me, because you're a designer and you kind of knew you wanted to be in fashion and, and based on your role at Chanel, it was more visual. Um, I, I just would think that, I mean, this amazing taste factor is what would get you great success in, in fashion anyway, but like to be, have the business mind also, because we often hear, you know, co-founders and one has one, one, um, skill that the other doesn't, um, tell me about your, maybe you brought in somebody on the, that was more business minded at the beginning, or are you a little bit of both? Would you say? Um, I think I'm a little bit of both. I will say my mom is a brilliant, brilliant businesswoman and has had her own business and still has her own business to this day. So she was super involved in the beginning. And I think I learned so much from her and she was able to handle a lot of that stuff that I wasn't able to from like a time or a just experience capacity, you know, in the beginning. Um, I also have Malika who's worked with me for the past 11 years who, you know, sometimes our strengths are very similar and our weaknesses are very similar. And then like some days they're opposite and it just like works really nicely. Um, so that that's definitely been, I would, I would attribute both of those things. I think generally speaking, I have a better grasp on like high level business. It's more like the operations and logistics, which is just like not my, my area. Um, which, you know, is interesting because most recently, even in January of this year, I brought in her name Sayuri and she now is doing all of our operations. And it's like to have a capable operator, um, I think has been, and this isn't like groundbreaking. It's like everyone that has a business knows this, but it's like, until you actually do it or have the right person, you don't really feel how life-changing it, it really is. And it's like me and operations are like, not, should not be anywhere near each other. Um, (laughs) so she's really like changed our entire business and things just how, you know, things run and when they run and, just keeping the trains on time. And it's like really, really incredible. So definitely having the right people in the right places is what I attribute um, really all of our success to, to be honest. I mean, the the power of that role, operations, production, I was just talking to Claire Vivier and I have a story coming out today um, where she said she had just made the hire also. And she's, again, probably about, I don't know, she's several years in, but was talking about how that almost was a, a lifeline or that, that was so beneficial in the last two years. And with all of the supply chain issues, tell me about those challenges you've experienced. Um, and yeah, maybe was that role mage, <laughs> major yeah. during that whole operation? <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, we produce locally, so we feel supply chain issues much differently than people that produce overseas. We produce everything in, in downtown Los Angeles within a five to 10 mile radius of our office. Um, I would say it doesn't even matter. We feel production and production and issues are, there's no way to not have one without the other. So even though we're not experiencing supply chain issues, I mean, of course, if we're importing zippers, for example, like they take a little bit longer. So we order them a month, you know, a month ahead. And there's been definitely little things like that, like trims and hang tags and things that aren't made locally that we have to import. But um, even just regular production, it's there's 20 steps into making one piece. And the chance that all of those things are going to go seamlessly is virtually impossible statistically. So 
Um, it really is just kind of part of the process. If you work in production, especially on a local level where like how we do, where we are in our factories, we are in our knitting mills, we are in our dye houses. Like our team is literally there on the ground every single day. Um, it is, you know, you're constantly troubleshooting and, you know, it doesn't matter. Yes. Working out farther in advance definitely helps and gives you a little bit more breathing room when these things arise, but, I don't think there's really any way to avoid them. And I think um, kind of embracing that concept instead of really trying to like get around it is something that's been really groundbreaking for us because, um, you know, you just, you to work in production, like one, you kind of have to be a glutton for punishment a little bit. It's, it's really a crazy, a crazy game, but also you just have to be really great at problem solving and like, you know, sometimes we'll dye, like, for example, like the shirt that I'm wearing right now, like colors dyed differently. This shirt we made in a color of matcha green. And for some reason, the fabric did not absorb the dye properly. And it was like, looked uh. like an acid wash green <laughs> 80s shirt. And it was, and we had, you know, all of the, these orders that were supposed to ship to all of our stores. And it's like, you have one day to make a decision. Like, are we cutting all of these shirts, are we recutting them and going to be delayed? Are we going to try and strip them and over dye them and like get them to be a different color? Like it's, there's only so many options you have and very little time to make those decisions. So you really have to be, um, and have a production team that's just like very confident and capable in kind of troubleshooting and making those kind of big decisions in a very short period of time. <laughs> Did you kill that green shirt? <laughs> oh, it was very upsetting at the time. It ended up, of course, always working out. You know, at the end of the day, yes, this is fashion, but we're not saving lives. So we have to just remind ourselves of that. But um, it all it all ends up working out at the end of the day. So you just have to remind yourself that even when in the moment it feels like really not, not the case. <laughs> yes. Well, you mentioned your sales channels. Uh, where... Uh, your stores. Where yes. are your sales channels? Um, so we are in about probably a little over 115 stores uh, worldwide. And then we sell direct to consumer, our, our website, our, our business. And then um, that's it for right now. We actually just had a really fun pop up in LA, which is, was our first in person anything since before COVID. So that was just really lovely and refreshing and, you know, just nice to, to get get our things back out there and be with the people in our community and let them experience our things again in, in person. But yeah, as far as stores go, um, just over 115. Great. Are those more like department stores? They're more boutique type stores. It's a mix. It's definitely heavy on the specialty. We have, um, you know, our majors are, um, you know, Saks, Shopop, Revolve, Whole Renfrew, um, anthropology, free people. So definitely like a good, a good mix and some really yep. great partners, but, um, definitely more on the, on the specialty side for sure. Great. Tell me about that pop-up strategy. You mentioned LA. Is it, uh, are you feeling out the market is a permanent store in that, in that market, a possibility? You know, I really don't know. And I go back and forth on this a lot. I'm just like, not a hundred percent sure, retail at this exact moment is what we want to do. Our real, most of our customers are actually based in New York. 
which is interesting. I mean, I lived in New York for such a long time. And then I moved here once we kind of like shifted all of our operations and, and everything over here. Um, but we're kind of toying with, we have a really special space. Actually, we moved, we had to move three times during COVID because it was, um, we were just growing at a very, very rapid pace and needed more space. Yeah. So we actually have what is now, I think going to be our home for, for a very long time. Um, and a really special space that's actually on ground level. Um, and, you know, we're kind of toying with a couple of ideas there as far as building out kind of like a shop within our headquarters um, that will be probably by appointment only, at least to start. We're kind of figuring all of those details out, but a place where you can kind of come and shop, but also like experience the brand, like yes. how it actually is. Um, and there's also, we're kind of working on a cafe concept where uh, it's like, we have kind of garage doors that roll up um, and you can kind of see into the space. So with uh, the the store um, potentially kind of having this like cafe window at the same time and you can like literally see our entire team working on their computers and our warehouse team shipping your orders and just kind of like so cool, a real look into who we are, how it happens um, and just being like transparent in that way, I think is cool. And I think something that people really appreciate about us as a brand is we try and keep it um, just very real and very, you know, personal and just kind of want you to feel like we are a friend and that you are welcome. Um, so I think these are kind of some steps to to test the waters there. And I think will be interesting in telling if retail, more permanent retail in any um, cities, you know, were to make sense down the road, but that's kind of going to be our first little, little step. I want to come. It sounds yeah. so cool. <laughs> <I> <laughs> it sounds so. amazing. It works. <laughs> um, they'll be like, is that Alyssa? They'll be looking through the window. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Anyway, are you out there? Are you the face of the brand? Like, are you well known? No, I definitely don't think so. Um, I have a little bit of a hard time with that, which is something that I um, am working on. I think it's just hard. I'm like just naturally more of a behind the scenes person. Um, But I think like, I think there is, um, you know, I've been pregnant, so I haven't taken a lot of like pictures. And I think, you know, the, the, girl who's running our social and kind of doing all of our content she was a customer for a really long time and we kind of really break down what it was about our brand that made her a customer and made her like what the pull was and all of these things and I think it wasn't anything like I was showing my face or or anything like that but it was like I used to take a lot of photos of just like how I styled our product and I think that was compelling to a lot of people was it wasn't like I was wearing head to toe our brand. It's, which isn't, you know, necessarily something that's super groundbreaking, but it was just how I was mixing and matching our pieces and the lifestyle and aesthetic and things like that. And, um, I think now that doesn't really matter because we have a community and all of these people that are kind of wearing our pieces in a very similar way. And that's kind of what we are able to show. Um, so I, I, I think, 
Listen, it's something that I definitely need to work on. It's like, I don't even have a good answer to this question. Um, it's hard. It's, it's not easy for me, but I think, you know, this brand is very personal. It's a personal brand because of 20 different reasons, of course, how it started and, um, who it's named after and all of that stuff. But, um, I think it's important that I have a presence in some capacity and, you know, I hope that that becomes something that, um, I become more and more comfortable with, but it's definitely a work in progress for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Understandable. Tell me about your, um, this great growth during the pandemic. Yes. So it was pretty, um, you know, crazy. I mean, we at that time were much um, heavier on knits and loungewear. So it was definitely um, a buildup of like right place, right time, of course. Um, but about a month before the pandemic, we were kind of readjusting our team. At that time, we were five people um, and we actually kind of cleared out. It was just Malika and I, um, and we were going to kind of cleared out and we were going to rebuild and we were actually interviewing to rehire. Um, and then the pandemic happened. So it was just the two of us. We had all of our wholesale orders canceled um, within like two days. And it was really a time, I mean, it was scary for everyone, but I was like, okay, so like, this is how this is going down. Like right now, like this is how this is going to happen. And I was like, that is really, really crazy. Um, and then about a week or so later, we kind of shifted our strategy. Normally we drop an entire collection at one time and we were dropping our collection like the day after the lockdown, and we kind of announced, look, like, we're not going to do this. It doesn't feel right. Instead, we're going to use our Instagram as just kind of a place for you to go for like a little reprieve, something like a funny meme, a video. You know, we at that time on our social media, we were posting a lot of photos of just like inspirational um, like whether it was Princess Diana wearing a button down shirt or, you know, whoever, it was like a lot of that. And we really I don't think we posted anything product based for like two or three weeks um, and then people started being like, Hey, you were teasing all this product. What, what, like, can you launch it? Hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we kind of went into the drop platform and we were like, you know what, we will drop a style at a time and we will give you no notice. And it's just going to be a surprise and something to like make your day. And it was crazy. It was like insane. And we would sell out in minutes um, and we nice. had all this extra inventory from all of our retailers that canceled their orders. And then in conjunction with this, all of our retailers came back to us and asked for not only their orders, but like four times their original orders. Um, so it was a really crazy time. I mean, Malika and I were literally sneaking into our office downtown to ship orders. And we were shipping like we were timing ourselves of like, how many orders can we get out a day? Um, and it was just the two of us for a while until... I think like middle of June. And then we also had to like try and make more product because we had sold out of all of our products. So it was really, it was just, it was a crazy time. So we grew, um, like I mentioned, we moved offices a couple of times. We grew our team pretty quickly from like June of 2020 and, and until now. Um, and it was just a really crazy thing. It was, I mean, there were no That's amount great. of sweatpants that were too many. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> oh, long live this one. Yeah. How many team members do you have now? Uh, we are at 16 right now. Okay, great. I, that's amazing. Um, that drop model, has yes. that stuck? It has a little bit different. No more surprise aspect. Now we do it and no more piece at a time. Right now we're doing it more by fabrication. Um, our collections, we really have like, you know, our spring collection is maybe comprised of seven to eight different fabrications. And while we kind of cross merchandise and mix, because I feel like sets are matching sets, at least are kind of like still a thing, but not as much of a thing. It's more, you know, I'll wear like, for example, orange poplin or sorry, papaya, we call it papaya poplin um, with like our papaya silky pants. So they're not the same fabrication. So we're kind of cross merchandising amongst fabrications, but um, we'll drop one fabric at a time um, and we'll give kind of a heads up usually like 10 days to a week in advance so that people can prepare. And we try to, I think the biggest thing that we learned that has stuck with the drop platform is education. Um, and I think that's a huge thing for our brand is educating on sizing, educating on how it's made, educating on um, just like what it is and giving people time to kind of like understand what's coming at them so that they know what they want going into it, especially because like on certain drops, you know, certain fabrications are, you know, known for us to move pretty quickly. So we try and educate as much as we can so that people can get what they want. Um, yeah. so I think that's the key that has really stuck. Um, and you know, we do a couple of like soft launches and different things, you know, the drop model has evolved a lot, but I think that, um, is, has kind of been like the constant that has stuck over the past two years. Yes. Where are you educating? Is this all happening on like Instagram? Yeah. Good old, yeah. good old Instagram. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely taken on a lot more um, forms and we're kind of revamping that right now, but we do have a series that we call our 101 series. And we have um, this just amazing community of girls who are all different shapes and sizes. And we have them do little videos um, so that they kind of explain what sizing they got, really show detail of how something's hanging on their body, talk about their body, talk about what sizing they normally wear, talk about what size they're wearing in the piece. And I mean, sizing for e-commerce is probably the most frequently asked question. So, um, you know, we try our best and, you know, there's these things are being cut and sewn by humans. You know, there's, yes. of course, we try our best, you know, going back to the production conversation, we try our best to be as consistent as possible, but there's an element and variables there that will always remain. So, you know, our poplin shirt from spring, summer 22 could run a little bit different than our poplin shirt from autumn, winter 21. So we really yes. try to, um, explain that to people and explain, you know, all of the changes and how we feel things are running and try them on our team. In addition to this community of girls that are doing these one-on-one videos, um, and just educate as much as we can. And I think, nice. you know, there's some other exciting things in the work, just our team speaking more, um, on lives and things and videos for our retailers and for our e-com customers. Um, cool. and just kind of diving in a little bit more and speaking to more of the product and kind of going back to that, 
insight into the brand and the process and, you know, the personal touch that, you know, we always try and make sure is there. Yes. Well, it sounds like you have this great, I guess, organic community on Instagram where what marketing or channels are worthy of an investment or are necessary of an investment for, for a company of your size and state? Yeah. You know, I, we've more recently gotten into that, um, up until probably like the mid, I mean, middle of COVID, I don't know what that period of time is probably up (laughs) until like 2021, everything we've done is really organic and really, um, has just evolved naturally over time. I think I'm really a believer in the things that work, like, especially like with influencers and things like that. Like we work with influencers that want to just wear our product. Like I, we don't have a structure where we pay or do anything like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Certainly. I just feel like you really see the return when these girls wear it, how they want to wear it and integrate it on the day that they want to. Um, it, you just, you can tell in the photo, it just feels so much more real and compelling. Um, so I think that kind of crosses over in every channel. I mean, I will say as far as like marketing goes, like our biggest focus and investment is really just in, um, sponsored Instagram ads, which do, we have a great return there. And I think it's really just a matter of figuring out what um, it's so interesting to see like what people are drawn to and what converts and what doesn't just as far as like images go. But that's like probably our biggest investment in the marketing side. I mean, we just did, obviously we did, I said our pop-up which I think, you know, you can't quantify exactly the marketing um, reach that that has, but you can just kind of feel it. And we did, um, wild postings for the first time, which was like really fun and interesting, but I think the marketing, you know, there's so much more room for, um, exploration there. And it's something that I think we're going to, you know, focus more on, but up until this point, it's been pretty, um, organic, which, you know, is great that we've made it to this point in that, in that way. And it's kind of exciting to think about with a little bit more strategy and emphasis in that area, kind of what we could achieve. Yes. How, how, I guess, robust would you say your influencer program is? Are you working with kind of these more micro influencers? Like you said, people who maybe you don't have to pay the huge bucks They're They love your clothes. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a mix. You know, we've, we work with kind of the big to the small and we're really lucky that like some of the biggest girls just like really love, genuinely love our product and wear it. And, you know, they request it and we don't have to pay them. And, you know, it's, we've been working with them for such a long time that it's just like, we've garnered these really great relationships. And I think at the end of the day, relationships aside, they just like our stuff. So they want to wear it and, um, you know, we have micro, macro, everything in between. Um, there's no, you know, I think we're really targeting a girl that loves our stuff. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, that's what's going to position us where we want to be more so than, um, you know, who has the most followers or who has the heart biggest ROI anything like that. I think, you know, we just, like I said, just want the people that wear it to really love it and want to wear it. And whoever those people are, no matter how many followers you have, I think that's kind of the goal. 
For sure. What's been your fundraising strategy to date? To date, um, we've never raised. It's self-funded, and it's just been kind of organic growth and rolling those funds over up until you know this point in time. In terms of your categories now, so you've expanded categories, expanded categories. Um, yes, is that kind of your growth lever? Are, are expanding to new markets also, or um, yeah, what's next? A great question. Um, You know, when we pivoted, you know, like I said, the first seven years of our business was scarves only. Then it was like hair accessories. Like we kind of revamped the scrunchie game, which is so funny to think about now how many thousands of scrunchies we sold when like it was just like kind of starting back up again. Um, And then that evolved into hair clips and that evolved into, you know, we would take our scarves Um, And we would style them as skirts and dresses and tops. And we used to make tutorial videos to explain, you know, it takes a savvy and patient customer to take a big square piece of fabric and watch a video and tie it into a tube top. So, you know, there was a, there was a juncture where I was like, you know, we, I want to make this top, but so that like my mom can do it and, you know, it's not, or anyone can do it. So we made a top that looked kind of like a scarf. And then with no intention, we had a 26 piece like ready to our collection like a month later. So that transition was actually pretty organic also. And I think from that point, you know, there's been so many different iterations of without expanding into different product categories necessarily, just different, you know, when we started, it was like, a linen collection and there were tube tops and crop tops and wide leg pants and high rise pants and dresses. And, you know, that evolved slowly into more knits and that was sweats and loungewear. And, you know, now, you know, what was so exciting about our pop-up shop was that our spring, our current spring collection is, you know, more elevated. And while like we are, I think like the core of our brand is comfort. And I think like, that's not necessarily, you know, comfort in, you know, you can wear it at home, but it's comfort. I mean, comfort and confidence, I think are like really the same thing. And I think, you know, right now people are craving to be comfortable physically, but also, you know, they want something that feels like a little bit more elevated to go out and after wearing sweats for two years. So, you know, we introduced cargo pants this year and trouser pants this year. And, you know, all of these things that people haven't seen from us in a really long time. So that was why the pop-up was so exciting so that they could kind of feel and experience all of these new pieces that we integrated and, you know, the elements of comfort within those pieces, like a structured pleated trouser that from the front look like a classic trouser, but the back band is all elastic. So like there's things that we kind of throw in that still, keep kind of comfort top of mind, but like a little bit more subtle. And, you know, with that, I think as far as evolving into different product categories, um, there's a lot of talks and a lot of development in a few different areas. I think while I feel um, compelled to just do some of them, I, I'm we're just kind of waiting to see like when certain things feel right um, and what makes sense. Um, So nothing like concrete as of right now, but, you know, the past couple of years, we've been working on a couple of things and hopefully we'll, we'll, the timing will be right soon to introduce some of those new things. But, um, 
you know, growth, I think for us right now, as far as, you know, expanding just like international wholesale business, I think is a big one. And, but I really think, you know, we have a really loyal customer, which is really special. Our return customer rate is very high. So I think our focus now is continuing to do what we're doing so that we keep them, but also figuring out just customer acquisition. And I think it's like, we're kind of like, we offer a very wide range of colors. So it's like, I think people get like buy one piece and then they're obsessed and then they need it in the other colors. And it's kind of like a gateway drug situation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's like, you get the poplin shirt and then you're like, oh my God, this is the best poplin shirt. So now I need it. They have nine other colors. Like I need three other colors. So I think it's just figuring out, I mean, most of our reach right now has been just word of mouth and people telling their friends and, um, obviously that's super important to continue, but really us just trying to harness and focus on how we can get, um, more of those people that are kind of our diehard, our diehards. Yes. Well, you, you tell me if I'm right. Like, I'm not just like flattering you, but like, yeah, I feel like you like ooze kind of this authenticity where you're not somebody that's fresh out or that, you know, came out of business school and you found a white space, but you actually, you used the term in the last, what you were just saying about what feels right. Um, I feel like you're organically going, going there and that's kind of fueled your longevity. What would you owe your longevity? Am I, you think that's it? <laughs> you know, I actually, well, one, thank you. Um, I, I think Listen, this industry is tough. It's really easy to get caught up in the trends and the noise and the pr- and doing shows and events and, you know, all of these things. Um, but I think, listen, I won't lie. I'm sure if we were more strategic within the past 13 years with marketing, um, you know, with bringing in someone for operations sooner, I could list a bunch of different things. I have no doubt that our business could be two, three, four times the size that it is right now, but I'm not sure that would have the longevity that we've, or like have the time frame that we've been in business and been profitable, um, you know, and the possibility to continue in that direction. I think, you know, doing what feels right is such sounds so simple, um, but is something that like people overlook quite often, whether it's embarking into motherhood and like hearing all of these different opinions and like really absorbing that like a sponge, but like really having to stay true to yourself and like what feels right for you despite all of that noise. And I think that that concept transfers directly into the business as well. You know, if our customers are continually asking for a robe, I'm making this up, um, <laughs> but I'm just like, and we have a hundred requests every day for people asking for a robe. And in my gut, I'm just like, I just don't feel like we should make a robe. Like I need to listen to that voice. Yeah. And I think, I think that is what creates longevity is just like staying true to you, listening to your gut, um, and listen, this has been years. I have made, I have listened to that request, the ro- we'll use the robe as an example, <laughs> so many times. And we've made thousands of robes. And then it was a huge mistake. We haven't made robes, just to be clear. Right. As an example. <laughs> Do um, not buy a daddy robe. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think just like continuing to like be really mindful of that concept and um, is really what, I mean, besides 
resilience and scrappiness and, you know, just drive and passion and all of those things that you kind of also have to forge forward in this business. I really do think staying true to yourself and your brand and your vision and your concept and um, just following your gut is really what I attribute, you know, hopefully the last 13 years to, and hopefully many, many more. Yes. We need more of that. I think, I feel like, I mean, people can be too data driven and it's like you're willy nilly. It's like, it's strategic, right? <laughs> but yeah. I'm Listen, I will it. say like, we can definitely have more of that. I, I think, you know, we work with certain people and they're like, Oh, can you pull this report? And like, what is your data on this? And I sometimes look at them and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't have that. And they're like, wow, like that's a little scary, but you know, there, it's all a balance. It's all a balance, but you know, sometimes your gut has to override the data, I think. And, um, I try and live that way as much as I can. I like it. Well, we are running out of time. I have to ask about this because I've talked to multiple people this week that have told me that they're doing their production in LA and they're based in LA. Tell me about this LA scene. Is this, there's a buzzing, bustling fashion scene? There definitely is. I mean, our office is in the garment district. We've been producing in LA for over eight years. So I guess to, to me, it doesn't necessarily seem like new or anything like that, but it, I guess it is. I mean, it, there's definitely a really great community of, you know, knitting mills, dye houses, factories, um, sample sewers. I mean, it's, it's a really exciting, um, space, which, you know, going back to like just the personal aspect of it, it's like, we've been working with some of these people in factories, like for eight years. And it's like, they genuinely feel like our family. And, you know, I think there's an element of business, where, you know, people say, you know, it's business, it's not personal, but like, I very much so disagree with that, that statement. And sometimes I make decisions that probably are not wise for our business and just kind of putting people first, which like, shouldn't be such a crazy concept, but, you know, supporting this community and ecosystem that is kind of like the LA production garment industry um, you know, we're one of many brands that does it. So like, we're not like changing, changing the game, but I think, um, just being really mindful of how we contribute and support, um, and you know, who we work with and how we distribute our business and all of that is something that's really important to us. And, um, you know, continuing to support these people and, um, and what they do and what they do very well. Y'all, you can make a go of production in LA and not be a denim brand. That's hey. it's very possible. I'll tell you that. <laughs> nice to know for sure. Well, thank you, Alyssa. Thanks so much for being my guest. This was great. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.